mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 13. We're going to kind of drill down a little bit on just verse 13. If you remember, we started Mark 13, and we're really looking at um, the disciples speaking to Jesus. They're walking by the temple. Uh, Their whole life surrounds this temple. You know, I don't, you have to understand the Jewish culture, but everything they, they did was surrounding the Jewish temple. They would go there three times a day. It was the presence of God. And, and they're, so, they're so enthralled in the building and in, and in what's there in their eyes in the flesh that they're missing the spiritual God who's walking with them right there in the flesh, that life is there with them. And so he gives it, they're saying, well, when is this going to be? When are these things going to take place? You know, because he's telling them that every stone, everything is going to be thrown down. He tells them in verse 2, not a stone will be left up on. And they're looking at this magnificent building that Herod is rebuilding. And they're like, what? This is where our whole life exists. Everything that we do until we met you is around this temple. So he begins to tell them, and we've talked about this, and it was last message, to take heed. To take heed that no one deceived them. So what is the biggest problem that we have? It's deception. Deception. See, God has come in the flesh to open our eyes to see truth. Because the devil is trying to destroy us with lies. Did God really say? The devil says to Eve. And then original sin is birthed. And it's the same thing that goes on today. There's no new weaponry. There's no new. It's all lies. It's all questioning you and getting you to doubt God. If you doubt God, then you begin to look elsewhere for answers. There's no new problem on the planet. There's no new problem with sinners. They doubt God. We doubt God. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. And so he doesn't tell them, oh, this is going to happen. It's going to be probably in 2035 or in the Jewish calendar. It's in the year 7,000. You know, he doesn't start telling them all of these things. He tells them to guard their heart. He tells them to watch. He tells them to take heed that they do not believe a lie. Now, why would he tell them that? Because he's come to his own, and his own does not receive him. He comes to the nation of Israel, the ones who the promises come from, and he's the Messiah. They've been looking for him, and then there he is standing in the flesh, and they go, it's not him. He didn't do what we wanted him to do. 
He did not do what I wanted. I wanted him to give me a new car. I wanted him to give me a new job. I wanted him to perform for me in the streets. And he didn't. It's not him. I, I don't believe it's him. I'm going to look for another now. And he says, take heed that you're not deceived. And the, the point I want to get to you today, more than anything, is what he says in verse 13. Mark 13, 13. We'll read and then I'll pray and we can dig into this a little deeper. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is what I want to drill down on. Father, we need to understand this. We need to know what you're saying to us and not be deceived by it. Teach us to trust you. And to follow your word. Well, we know we're all sinners saved by grace. Or sinners that need your grace. So pour out your spirit here now. And help us to be doers and not hearers only. Deceiving ourselves. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Now, let me just quickly say. And I look at scripture sometimes differently than others. It's the way I'm built is that I believe this is speaking to the Jewish nation, this text. You're going to find a parallel text, Matthew 24, Luke 21. You're going to find parallel text of the same things going on, but a different audience. However, I also believe that all of Scripture, Old Testament, is prophecy. This becomes prophecy to you and me. And I'm not going to go in today to, to 14, the abomination of desolations. But if you come back for the next message, you can pick that up and see more of it. But listen to me. As we see this, this has already happened. It happened in A.D. 70 under Titus, who was the general. Then he became the emperor. And, and the temple was torn down. It was destroyed. Listen to me. The things have already happened. They are happening, and they are a prophecy of what will future happen. Not just to the nation of Israel. First, they are Jews, but then they are also Christians. Listen to me. A lot of the things that we call types, or we say that they're, they're, these are stories. Don't use the word stories. They're testimonies of people who live by faith, Old Testament. They become prophecy. They become a witness. They become evidence that we can trust God because everything that he said is true. And this is all going to come back to what we need to do. Listen to me. They were already hated. The Jews were already hated. The Christians were hated. We've seen it in the past when they were persecuted, when they were killed, when they, when, when they were killed by Rome. One could only talk of Jews and you remember the Holocaust, which is still in this century. It's still in the last hundred years that we read about the Holocaust. Only today do we try to get rid of that. So it happened in A.D. 70. It happened in A.D. 90. It happened in 1939. And then when you look at it as a prophetic type in Scripture, it's going to happen again at the end of the age. 
And that's what this scripture is telling us. It did happen. The temple was destroyed. Think about this for a minute. All of their life was surrounding the temple and it's going to come down. They can't even fathom it. They can't imagine it. They're looking at it going, what? How do we believe this guy? He's telling us that every stone is going to be thrown down and yet every one of them will see it. Think about this for a minute. If I tell you that it's happening soon, that everything that you believe about America is getting ready to be thrown down. Everything that you believe is getting ready to be thrown down. And you say, what? This is what we've always known. This is where we've been. This is how we grew up. It's an American system. It's the, the land of the free and the home of the brave. It's the American dream. It's going to be thrown down. It's going to be destroyed. Because one world government has always been here. It's the devil trying to get you to choose him instead of following Christ. That's what antichrist, it means in place of, substitute for. And you're either following Jesus Christ as, as, as your Savior, who's taken you back to a father and has brought you into a family, or you're deceived. Whether it's deception by somebody telling you that, or it's self-deception because you choose not to follow the truth. You are either in the family of God, or you have been deceived and you're following the father of all lies. You're in one of those governing situations. Listen to me. Let me ask you this. Have you been deceived so bad that you've been tricked into following and arguing about a political system? Whether you're Democrat or Republican, have you been tricked so bad and deceived that now your whole battle, your whole life is around who the president is? Or do you understand that there's two kingdoms? The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Do you understand that if you believe in Jesus, you're now been translated into the kingdom of light? Do you understand that you're now citizens in heaven and that you have a father who loves you and has provided all things? The first thing that he provides is a savior because your first need was a spiritual need. All your needs now become spiritual needs. The next thing the devil wants to do is deceive you from believing and following and getting involved in the Great Commission or the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Only ministry the church has ever been given is the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Are you involved in that? Listen to me. Listen to what he says to him. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Not just you're going to be hated. Not just love less. Not just treated hatefully, spitefully. But why? For my name's sake. Which we know that name means his character, his nature, his will, his authority. There's, there, there's no other name on heaven and earth that men can be saved but the name of Jesus. But it always goes back to the name. There's where the power and the authority comes from. There's where the kingdom comes from. Whose name are you living for? When persecution comes, and it is, we've never been promised that we will not suffer persecution. It's everywhere in the world. It's silently in America. We're being deceived. We're being duped. We're being led away by a cultural system that doesn't know the scriptures. Listen to me. When real persecution comes, 
when you're told that you can't meet in church, when you're told that you can't preach the scriptures, when you're told that you can't live a life for Christ, where are you going to be? Where are you going to stand? Are you going to be able to endure? Are you going to say, I want the free handout? You know that in communist China right now, there's what's called the Uyghurs. There's over a million of them. Do you know that they will not give them a plate of food unless they say there is no God and the government is God? They won't give them a plate of food. Now, tomorrow, if that happens to you, how are you going to endure? How are you going to endure? Tomorrow, if you're hated by all people because of Jesus Christ, what are you going to do? See, we live in this little bubble in America, and everything surrounds the American dream. And if, and if I can't go out and work for it, the government will give it to me. What about faith? What about Jesus? What about a life of godliness? What about tempering back our needs? What about understanding how to present the gospel to people? What about right now preparing yourself for tomorrow? You know, God gave me one proverb years ago. And, and, well, at least I call it a proverb. Your struggles today will be your strengths for tomorrow. And that sounds crazy, but that's exactly what God wants to do in our lives. The proud will continue to trust in himself. The humble will bow down and look to God and use his strength, his provision, his power, his spirit, his word to live their life. But the, but the proud, they'll continue to try to decide how to do things themselves. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety or worry in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word will lift it up. What do you mean? Well, you can either depress and go to your knees and ask God for strength and help in your struggle, or... You can stand up, try to figure it out yourself, and you end up with worry and anxiety, and you become depressed. And then you're going to need medication. You're going to need help from someplace else because you've already rejected God because you begin to look somewhere else for help. When the Word clearly tells us that we should be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God, and then what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Why do I tell you this? Because your struggles today are going to be your strengths for tomorrow if you go to the right place for help. And you're not deceived into thinking your help comes from somewhere other than God. He is a good father, a perfect father. He's provided everything we needed for life and godliness. He's given us life and that more abundantly. And yet we look everywhere else for our help when struggles come instead of going to our knees. And today is the day to prepare your heart to endure. Today is today is to prepare your heart to where do I go when I hit the wrong nail with the hammer? Where do I turn? What do I say? Where's my heart at? And we often fail miserably. But we're not given... Ooh, don't get ahead of yourself, Greg. We're not given the test to fail. We're given the test as a test to see where your faith is at, where your heart is at. You're not given a test and God says, oh, boy, they failed. I'm kicking them out of heaven. 
Because he's promised already to complete the work he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day that he sees Christ fully in your life, until the day of Christ Jesus, until he comes to take us home. Whichever way you want to look at that, we're being conformed into the image of God. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So we want to look for the provision that the Spirit would give us in a struggle not for the provision that the world would give us. So if you've been duped, if you've been deceived into thinking that if Trump is president, your life is going to be perfect, or if Biden is president, your life is going to be miserable, you're looking to the wrong place for help. You're looking to the wrong place for help. The earthly government has been hijacked since the beginning. It was never God's plan. Is there people that are more evil? Probably. But if you're not walking in the spirit, you're under the sway of the wicked one. Remember 1 John 5, 19? I know you're a God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. There's only two camps, darkness and light, heaven and hell. There's only two fathers, the father of lies or the father who sent his son to die for us. And raised again on the third day who poured out his blood for our sins so that we could be welcomed back into a family by simply receiving, by simply believing, by simply accepting his word, his sacrifice for our sins. So listen to me. He tells these Jewish people, he tells these Christians that he has chosen, you're going to be hated by all. How much is all? Get a calculator, get that calculator out. All. For my name's sake. Now we know the nation of Israel, that has happened. We know that they've been hated by all, but it's going to get worse because this is this happened, AD 70, on into the 90s. It's going to happen again at the end of the age when the Antichrist comes and makes a false peace agreement with them. We're seeing rumblings of this everywhere. Do you know that, again, as it becomes prophecy just with the Christian church, do you know that right now it is afoot that people are crying out and wanting to make a list of everybody that voted for Donald Trump? They want to make a list and punish anybody that voted for Donald Trump. They want to make sure that they're blacklisted and they never get a job again. They want to make sure that they know who you voted for. It's all part of cancel culture. If you do not choose to do things the way that they are saying with their propaganda on the news, then you're in big trouble. And this is what they did to the Jews in the 30s after Hitler was elected. Well, he was elected. Think about it for a minute. They began to make them hate it. They began to make them a scourge of society. They began to talk about them badly. And, and, and they made them the worst people of society until it became accepted. It became accepted that they could arrest them and kill them, annihilate them, get rid of them. They were enemies of the state. And we're seeing parallels of the same thing going on again in America. If you are hated tomorrow 
you know, when I was growing up in the church, and I'm still growing up, uh, they'd always say, if somebody come in with a gun, and they said, all right, how many of you believe in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, stay in here. If not, get out of here. Would you get up and leave just to save your life? You know, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? You know, and then the gunman, of course, after everybody leaves, he sits down and says, okay, preacher, preach. Because he wasn't going to shoot anybody. He just wanted to get rid of all the frauds, you know. Is there enough evidence? What, what would happen if your life was in danger? Could you endure through pain and suffering if they hate you? Or would you? is it just about your iPhone? Is it just about your TV? Is it just about getting a meal? Are you looking for a handout? Or do you really understand what salvation is? That you've been saved from the pit of hell. Nothing that we deserve. We all deserve death. Listen to what he says to these guys as they ask him, when will these things happen? He goes on to tell them about how they're going to be hated. And he says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now listen to me. Don't get your theology mixed up. They're not getting saved by their works, by enduring. I'm going to grip my teeth up here until all this is over. I just grit my teeth and it all gets over. I get saved. If I just, no, the enduring is part of you cooperating with God right now. Think about it. Here's what happens, and, and I know it by experience. Here's what happens in a home when the father just lays down rules and there's no relationship. When that child turns 18, they go buck wild and leave. They're just, in, they're, they're just hunkering down and going, boy, I can't wait to get out of this house. Is that the way God wants a love relationship with you? Of course not. Of course not. He wants you to come and reason with him. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. He wants you to come and sit down and enjoy time with him and have a love relationship with him individually. Each person here is having an individual love relationship with God. It's not rules. It's not boundaries. The, the, the law was just to keep us as a schoolmaster till he came and poured out his blood. Let me tell you what endure means first. Let me find it here. You might know it. You might remember it. My pastor always said it reminded him of pepperoni because it's the Greek word hoopamoni. I'm like, Tom, you're crazy. Pepperoni, hoopamoni. And uh, it, it's also translated or comes from uh, the word hoopamine. It's hoopamoni or hoopamine uh, with an E on the end or with an O on the end. They're the same word. It's also patience. It's a fruit of the spirit. It comes from the word patience. But enduring means a constancy. I got that right. Did I look at it right? Here it is. Endure to the end means to stay under. Hupo means under. Mino means to stay. Or to stay behind. To remain in a place. To bear trials. To have fortitude. To persevere. Or to abide. It's 
similar to the word histomai, which is uh, uh, Ephesians 6, where we stand, where we abide and continue and remain in the truth, no matter what's going, trusting in God's power and God's might, trusting in God's provision, standing, putting on the, the, the armor of Christ or, or, or the person of Christ and the knowledge of Christ, and then experientially walking that out. So you have, uh, he who endures to the end shall be saved. So gritting your teeth, or is it a free gift? See, because people can take this verse, and then they go, wait a minute, it says right there that I have to last to the end, and then I'll be saved. And people have come up with bad doctrines through this. But see, in salvation, it's in three parts. It's like a race. When the gun is fired, and you're in the starting block. And then you have the body of the race where you have to run it. And then there's a finish line where you, and you press through the, and break the tape. And the Bible tells us that, that it's, it, it's justification, just as if I never sinned, that I received by a gift with the blood of Jesus. And then it is sanctification which is me being set apart, cooperating with God and becoming like Christ as a child of God in his house. I learned to obey his spirit and follow his rules, not for salvation, but because I've been justified. And then the finish line is glorification. When I'm with him and I see him face to face and I'm going to be perfected finally to be just like him in his house and be known as I am known. So, listen, positionally, you're perfect. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But practically, we have to work this out. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we're running a race, and in order to win and get to the glorification, we really need to run by the rules. If you're not running by the rules, then everything that you're looking at, you're being deceived by. So what are the rules, Greg? Well, you have to begin to get into the Word, prayer, and fellowship. You have to begin to check out these 66 books by 40 authors and find out what God has required of you, O oh man. And have that personal relationship so that, because you, be, you could be actually doing something in your life and it's a good thing with people looking on, but it's disobedient to God because he hasn't called you to be there and you fully know that he called you to be somewhere else. So therefore, it's disobedience to God, even though it looks great to man. That's between you and God. I can't decide that for you. I can't decide your calling in that sense. You have to begin to have that relationship. Just like you're in a family and you have a father and you have a mother and certain children have certain things they're supposed to do. At one age, you're supposed to collect the eggs. Another age, you're supposed to be mowing the grass. We all have a different part in that family. We're believer priests. We're living stones. We're the body being fitted together and being a proper representation of that family or that name, the Father. So are you prepared to endure through persecution they did they were all martyred remember martyr remember a martyr it's the Greek word martis when they said Jesus see they, they go through the same thing you and I do what are we supposed to be doing you're going to restore the kingdom at this time it's Acts chapter 1 
He's already resurrected. He's standing there. He's been there 40 days teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And they're like, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Why did they say that? Because they had been falsely taught that he was going to be an earthly king when he came. And they spiritualized this, the other part of suffering. They spiritualized the part about his death. And he said, That's these are not for you to know. But you shall be a martyr. But you shall be a witness for me, is the word translated in the Greek. It's where we get our Greek word, or our English word, martyr. You shall be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Yes, even in Haiti, wherever we might go that God calls us. Are you ready to endure if things get bad? Because they're going to get bad. We're in a little bubble, and they're already bad in the rest of the world. They just don't tell you that. There's more people dying for their faith today than at any other time in the world's history. And he actually says this. He actually says this on down. Verse 19, for in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And then the Lord had shortened those days. No flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now listen to me. At that time, A.D. 70, this was the worst persecution. This was the worst since creation. When you see the temple torn down, you see these Christians and, yes, Jews destroyed and killed and used as lanterns in, their, in, in the Roman Colosseums. They, they would spear them to their rectum and set them on fire with tar on them so they could have big orgies. These are things. They would sew them up in dead animal hide and throw them into the auditorium for people to go, yes, and then lions would attack them and rip them apart. See, this was the worst. But yet it would still become true then, but a prophecy of worse times when the tribulation comes. When the Antichrist is on the throne. It's telling us of future things, yet it was present things. That's because the scriptures are living. They're powerful. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. They're able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And they're a discerner of the thoughts and intent of your heart and my heart. Because it's our heart that God wants can we endure? Not on our own strength. That would be pride. I'm going to get through this. God gives grace for the moment. Your hope has to be in Him today, not tomorrow. You can't be focusing on the government today and think that tomorrow I'll cry out to God. And that you're going to be ready to stand the trial, the testing. You have to begin like a little child being trained. You begin to prepare your heart today. Your struggles today will be your strengths for tomorrow. And if today you begin to draw near to God, He'll draw near to you, and He will make you ready right now for tomorrow. But He's not going to give it to you beforehand. And He's not going to give it to you your way. It has to be your surrender. It has to be you surrendering and say, Here I am, Lord. I don't want to do it the world's way. I don't want to do it culture entities way. I don't want to do it because of psychology or sociology. I want to do it because of your name, for your glory, for such a time as this. Endure. Abide under. How do you abide under 
them killing your family? How do you abide under them nailing the church, the church shut and burning you alive in it? If you hide under the bodies that are burning alive and you survive, you're going to have survival remorse that's out of this world because you're the only one that's alive. It's really crazy stuff, but it's happening every day in our world. It's happened before, it, it, it's happening now, and it's going to happen worse in the future. How will you endure? How will you abide under it? See, we're supposed to be preparing our heart now. That's why he was telling them, don't be deceived. Listen, everything's going to burn one day. Everything's going to be thrown down. Magnificent buildings. It doesn't matter what, what we've made. It's all going to be thrown down one day. Do you get that? This stuff means nothing. This is about souls. And if you're in God's family, it should be about souls. Your soul first. And then the reconciliation of other souls by your life. That's what this is about. Because of a loving God who came to save us. He came to deliver us out of our sin nature. To deliver us out of this world and translate us into his kingdom. And everything else is distracting us. Deceiving us. If we ignore the relationship with God. I was talking with my wife this morning because most people don't know that this country was founded on godly principles. In fact, most Christians will say, no, you know, when you look at the founding fathers, they were all deists and they were all masons and they were all deceived. No, that's what they want you to believe. Because that's the new way that the devil steals it. Now think about it, they tell you about this. Wait a minute, do they really? Well, I can't believe that word. That's all been written by man. That's all been destroyed. My grandma told me that, that that's been translated so many times that it's unbelievable that man wrote that. Not God. This is not God breathed. So listen, they're saying the same thing about America. But America was started by Christian principles. America was started in Philadelphia. It's one of the main places, which means city of brotherly love. Just so happens that we're fighting for the soul of a nation there again right now. In Philadelphia, the most corrupt place that there is. Because the devil always joins God's work and pollutes it. He destroys it. That's what he did in the garden. That's what he always does. He did it. He's coming in your life to do it. If you give your life to Christ, you think it's going to be easy? No, the devil's going to come and try to destroy it. So when it began, it was written, it was, it was ordained by God. I believe that with all of my heart. And then it was hijacked by the devil because of flesh, because of demons, because of one world government that hides itself in all kinds of institutions. And now it's been transported to Washington. It's not in Philadelphia anymore. It's been taken someplace else. But think about this. We serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? Father's plan. Father's word. Father sent son to execute it. And then he's going to judge one day. Our country has de was developed and written down on paper three branches of government. 
that all agree together and are one. And they're supposed to support one another. The legislative, the executive, and the judicial. You can't miss the Trinity there. And the legislation is the written documents. The Word of God. It's a parallel. I'm not trying to put them on the level of the Word of God. I'm trying to show you that they were divinely ordained. And then there's the ones who executes them. And then when you can't execute them properly and follow the Constitution, there's the judicial who's supposed to decide what the written word says. We have the Holy Spirit that does that now. And if you listen to the Holy Spirit and you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're a child of God. And when you listen to the Holy Spirit and you're led by the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? You receive the inheritance. You receive the gifting. You receive the ability to follow your gifting and to be that part of the body, to be a witness, a martyr, so you can have endurance to get through because you're not fighting for an iPhone. You're not fighting for a block of cheese. You're not fighting because of a political party. You're standing because of a Savior who died for you and you understand what's going on in the world. Because make no mistake, this is a giant courtroom. We've talked about this. It's a courtroom where we stand and we're going to be judged one day. It's a courtroom where the prosecutor, the, the evil one, is, is accusing you day and night before the judge. But we have a lay African. We have a representative, Jesus the Christ who's already paid everything for our sinful flesh and our sin nature. And he the judge brings down that gavel and says, not guilty, because you believe in Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. You're supposed to be involved. You're supposed to be learning to endure. And as you endure, what happens? The fruit of patience. Patience is a fruit. It's Galatians 5.22. We want the love, but we want joy, peace, patience. Or it's long-suffering in many versions. of the, But patience you know what patience is? The same word, except it's a constancy in your enduring. As you constantly endure what the world throws at you and you continue to follow Jesus no matter what they say or do, it creates patience in your life. Or you can become a patient in a doctor's office if you don't learn patience because of anxiety in your heart. Patience is a constancy in enduring through the things that are coming in life. We all have went through sin. We were born into sin. We've all went through broken things in our life. We've all went through somebody betraying us, somebody hurting us. These are things that God already knew about. Did he want them to happen? No, because of sin in the world, they happen. People are sinners all around you, either learning to follow the devil and his family or learning to follow God. In many cases, deceived somewhere in the middle. And they don't understand that they've been purchased with the blood of Jesus and bought with a price and that they now have a new choice they can make and they can walk in the light and have fellowship with the light. <laughs> but everything... All your struggles were supposed to be strengths for tomorrow if you look to God for help. If you ask him what's going on. If you ask him for wisdom. And you can turn to James chapter 1. We'll look at it in a minute. But there has to begin that, that, that infancy where you're born again as a little child. And you begin to trust God because we weren't born trusting God. 
We were born in sin against God, enemies of God. And then when we believe in Jesus because of his grace, wish I could go teach the book of uh, Hebrews, but I can't. I wanted to. I'm running out of time as it is. I had two or three chapters of Hebrews ready to talk about because it's all in there. We might get there a little bit. We'll, we'll take our time for a minute. Listen to me. James, Camel Knees, that was his nickname because he prayed so much. Jesus, his half-brother, need glasses. Listen, enduring to the end is not to save you. As you endure to the end, you stay in the Father's house. You stay being led by the Spirit. You're staying in the Word of God. You're learning. You're training your heart to endure because there's something more coming tomorrow. God's preparing you for tomorrow. And so your struggles today says this is where you need to look at. This is what you need to look at. This is where you need to be dealing with it. Whatever you're struggling with today, you need to be looking at that and saying, Lord, I need wisdom to deal with that because I want to get to the next place where you want me to be. I want to grow in this endurance and have patience with others so I can be a witness for the love that you have given to the world so other people will be reconciled into this ministry of reconciliation and enjoy the same inheritance I have in this family. So James is writing, camel knees. He had calluses on his knees from bowing uh, on his knees in the sand, the hot sand. He says, my brother, and he's writing to uh, as a bondservant to those that have scattered abroad because of persecution. He says, brethren, meaning those in his family, the family of God, count it all joy. No, the word consider is what it is. You should know that. It's consider. It means to think forward. See, when you're going through the struggle, you're like, What? How can I give thanks for this? See, you have to understand from a heavenly perspective. We look at everything from down here looking up going, Lord, will you help me? But we're really citizens in heaven. We should be looking from up there going, how do I deal with this? We can come boldly to the throne room. Because of Christ's flesh that was rent, he, he becomes the veil. And the Hebrews tells us that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into the presence of God because of our high priest who made us believer priests. We can enter in. And, and, and therefore, we're right there, coming boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, that would be a time of need when you're going through trials, when you're going through temptation, you're going through tribulation, you're going through suffering. Oh, well, the American church don't know nothing about that. Well, why is that? Because we're cultural. Because we don't ever have trials and tribulations and suffering. We call, we call normal everyday stuff. Man, I wanted to go golfing and it's raining. Man, I mentioned Jesus at work and they call me a Jesus freak. Think about it. We don't go through no suffering. Trials, tribulations. Well, they got sick and they went to the doctor. Is sickness a trial? Is it a tribulation? Is it suffering? We need to understand that. Ask God. I don't know. Your sickness could be. You could actually be sick. Job dealt with it. You could actually be going through boils and things because of the devil and because of trials and tribulations, because of the testing of your faith. It doesn't have to be because just your body's wearing out. 
It can be a physical attack from the devil that God's allowing to test you to see if you're going to trust him or trust something else. If you're going to endure through it and learn patience in it and still be a witness because of it, or if you're just going to give up. As I said, when the guy comes in with the gun and you say, well, I'm not dying for this. Physically, I'm going to live to fight another day. And you walk out. He says, count it all joy. Consider it joy. It's going to produce joy. Joy is another fruit of the Spirit. But it's talking about thinking forward. That's what the word means in the Greek. Think forward. Right now it hurts, but I know that God is doing something because I have a heavenly perspective, and all that he does is good. He's, he's working on getting me across the finish line, and I'm just trying to get to the table to get some food. But really, he's got my entire eternity in mind, and I'm just thinking about today. See, so he's got the perspective that counts, so I need to come to him. So I can consider it, I can count it, I can go, wait a minute, God's going to use this for good if I'll endure through it and come to him about it and trust him through it. It's the through principle of the Bible, some have called it. So you count it joy, you're considering it joy when, not if, but when you fall into various trials. And this is not talking about those that just run right headlong into them and say, I'm going to go do this regardless of what God thinks. That's a different heart altogether. That's a bad heart to know God's truth and then go, I'm doing it regardless of what God says. See, that's not a heart looking to, to serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a heart that says, uh, I, I've already said a prayer and I'm okay, which is a cultural statement. Because when you get to the judicial branch of this triune God, See, he came as a savior first, but he's going to be a judicial, he's going to judge one day. And he's going to use this word. If you look at the end of John chapter 12, this is what he's going to judge you by. What was already legislated, what was already written down in the plan, the written word, directs you to a relationship with the living word. And how you deal with the living word is what you're going to be judged by because it's already here. And you say, well, I don't understand it when I read it. The spirit is there to teach you. You don't need anybody else to teach you. The spirit, the Bible tells us the spirit will teach you. He's going to write it on your heart. Your conscience is going to know when you're sinning. Your conscience is going to know when you're trying. You're going to know when you're playing games with God. You're not going to be able to get there and go, well... You know, Greg told me if I said a prayer, I'd be okay. Ain't going to work. It ain't going to happen. But everything that's going on in your life right now is preparing you for that day, that evil day. Paul calls it in Ephesians 6. Are you ready to endure? You have to start sometime. If you're not ready to endure, today's the day for deliverance. Today's the day for salvation. Today's the day to get started Saying, Lord, I want to turn my heart toward home. That's true salvation. Saying a prayer at some altar is not true salvation. That could be the starting line, but it, most of the time it's not. And I challenge you, just show me where it's at in the Bible. But it's a heart that comes to its senses, as the prodigal son did, because I'm out eating pig pies. I'm eating dung. Uh, and I have a father who died for me who's a king and the creator of heaven and earth. And you come to your senses and you go, wow, that's real dumb. 
I'm going to turn and go this way and repent and begin to try to follow what the Spirit of God is doing. And I'm going to go home and get a, a ring and, and be clothed anew and walk in the newness of life. You're going to fall into them. You're going to go through things in life. But you don't know who I was raised by. You don't know what family I was in. You don't know what they did to me as a little kid. No, I don't. But God does. And he can use it for his glory. No matter what those trials were, no matter what, if you hang on to it and you don't forgive, then he can't use it because you're still living in bitterness instead of newness of life. You're still letting the devil, the father of all lies, control you because of that unforgiveness. I was listening the other day to somebody teaching and he said, and maybe you women won't know this, but there's a Hall of Fame football player named Jerry Rice. He's in the Hall of Fame. Well, see, as a kid, his dad made him work. And his dad was a brick mason. And his dad would be bricking up houses, and he would make Jerry catch the bricks. They would be throwing them to him like this, and he's catching bricks. And the whole time he's thinking, I could be out playing sports with other kids. I could be out doing this. I could be having fun. And he's catching bricks. And the whole time, God was preparing him to catch footballs in the NFL. See, and you're complaining about your life. You're complaining about where the dog bit you. You're still looking in the rearview mirror instead of forgetting that which is behind and pressing on, upward, toward the higher call of God in Christ Jesus. And you're still looking at the dog that bit you. And you're saying, this is bad. And I, I could have been something. You are. You're a child of God. You've been given a new life. You've been set free from the power of sin and bondage. And you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through suffering. That's the way of life. That's because of sin in the world. But it's God's fire. It's his crucible. It's the way he does his work in your life to burn out the flesh and get you to stop depending upon your strength and your might and your will and to surrender to a place where you humble yourself and he can lift you up. Because the just shall live by faith. Confident trust in him. And you know what? Faith is in two parts too. Just like this word endurance and patience. Endure is to abide under it. Hupomone. But then patience becomes hupomone. Or the opposite way. Sorry. But one of them is a constancy in the other. Well, faith is, I believe, and then there's a constancy where you continue to believe that Christ is your Messiah, and you constantly look to him by faith, and you're always looking to him. And when the Spirit says, wait a minute, you're trusting in yourself, you say, self, payow, kick him in the face, put him back in the grave, and walk in the newness of life, because you've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through pain. You're going to go through suffering. But you always want to look to God and his strength, to his word, his plan. Get back on line with that. Why will America be destroyed? One, because perilous times. Two, because God said it would and there's no place. To, and three, because they will not get back on the written plan. And unless we get back to the written plan, 
that was given by God, the country will have to fall because it cannot be governed apart from God in a way that it's going to have life. It's impossible. You cannot be governed unless you're led by the Spirit. And there's a written plan. Just like with an inheritance from your parents or an inheritance when somebody dies, that inheritance, that will and testament becomes real and alive when they die. But unless you follow what the will and testament says, the executor can't give you the riches of the estate unless it's according to the written document. And the Holy Spirit right now is the executor of God's estate. Jesus died. The Father sent him. And it's all there for free. If you follow the written plan, which reveals the heart of God to the people of God, to the children of God, for the glory of God. So he says that, verse 3, James chapter 1, knowing, this is what you know, you can experience it too, that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. It produces patience. See, when you stay and then you endure and you learn to endure in the little bitty things, this is what you want your children to know. Why? Because I told you to. And then eventually they learn to endure underneath your authority and, and, and they patiently listen and they go, okay, I, I've learned that you are faithful and that you are my parent and that you don't tell me anything that's bad for me. You're training me so that I don't run out in front of a car. So now it's easy to listen to God when you have that relationship. But if all they have is boundaries, they're just waiting to bust out into the street and get ran over because there's no relationship with that love. There's no relationship it's going to be tested. But what? listen, it's the testing of what? Your faith. Well, how are you enduring? How are you listening? You're believing God. He's telling them right now so that they would know later that all these things are going to happen. Now, they can just go, my grandma told me that book's got mistakes in it, and never follow by faith the truth of the Word of God. What happens then? No testing of your faith because you don't have any faith. The fool has said in his heart, no to God. So there's no faith there. Well, how do I get faith? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as you continue to listen to God, you hone your heart in to endure and hear his word, hear his voice, then he's creating your confident trust in him. And there's going to be evidence, as Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen but it's going to be there like the Shekinah glory of God it's going to be following you because you're following by faith you're growing in faith but it starts with first listening and understanding that somebody's trying to deceive you that no matter what if they tear down everything in your life you still endure and wait upon God because he's coming you can trust him He's faithful. Even if you're faithless, he's faithful because he cannot deny himself. I was looking up on the way here because I forgot that I wanted to share that with you. There's, there's this, uh, this study that was done years ago. Let's see if I can find a note on it. I always get it wrong. So my wife tells me I get every story I tell wrong. So. And, and, and I don't want to get it wrong because then I'll be saying, well, you get the gist, don't you? It was Norwegian wharf rats. You might have heard me tell this before. Norwegian wharf rats, right? 
these scientists took these Norwegian warfrats. I don't know how many. It's not in the context. It doesn't matter. There's a group of them, all of them primarily the same. They've been raised up in a laboratory in a place, and they threw them in a bathtub full of water. And so that they couldn't get up the side, slick, porcelain, they began to spray water so that it's swirling and swirling and swirling. And for all you animal rights activists, after 17 minutes, guess what happened? They died. They couldn't get out. You drowned in water. That's hopeless, isn't it? But listen, they waited, took another group of rats with the same set of circumstances, put them in the same tub, and they sprayed the same water, and at 16 minutes, they pulled them out. They dried them off. They fed them. They took care of them. They waited several days, and then they repeated their experiment, and they put them back in the water. They sprayed the water. They're in the water, and guess what? It wasn't 17 minutes. They lasted 36 hours because they knew somebody was coming. They endured in the water, spraying, and they kept waiting for somebody because they knew, they believed that somebody was going to come because they had experienced it, because they had knowledge, they had a relationship that they'd been pulled out. Do you understand what salvation is? You've been pulled out of sin and darkness. You've been translated into his kingdom. You've been given a position in his house. You're a trophy of grace. You've been set free. He's coming back to take the chosen home. And he who endures to the end will be glorified, will be saved, will be delivered completely. That's what we're called to do. And you have to start. You can't wait to the last minute because you're preparing your heart through enduring this, through enduring that, through going through this sickness and this pain and this trial. And there's a testing of your faith so that it grows and you learn to trust him. See, that's what the Old Testament's about. All the Old Testament. Why do you read it? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you, every time you read it, you go, man, God delivered David. And David was a sinner. And, and in fact, as I read it, David sinned more than Saul did. But David came to God and David trusted God. And David was a man of God after his own heart. Which is Christ if you... When extrapolated, the heart of God is Christ. He came to live with us. And you begin to grow and realize that everything he said, every promise he made is going to come true. Just as he came the first time, he's coming again. And you can endure now, and you can wait, and you can go, this is painful, but this is preparing me. God, I need wisdom. What's going on? Why is this here? You're, you, oh, you want me to trust in you and not them? Oh, I've been trusting in the rest of the body of Christ, and as long as we meet together on Sunday, it's a cultural thing that I feel real pious and think that I'm being spiritual, but I'm really not reading my Bible. I'm not praying. I'm not growing in a relationship with you, but I'm growing with those people. I'm learning who they are, which is part. It's important. It's integral. But what about God? Because when you're left alone, and there's nobody there but God, what's the judge going to say about your heart? Because it's him that's important, not me. I'm just trying to do my part to help us all together learn to be a witness to this dead and dying world that's all around us. And listen, make no mistake, they're coming. 
This attack is on the church. It's not on the world. The attack is on those who believe in Jesus for his name's sake. That's why we have to learn to endure. And if you haven't been learning, you haven't been planning, you haven't been abiding under stuff, but you just want to get out of it. Just get me out of this marriage. Get me out of this life. Get me out of this place. I don't want to do this anymore. And you think that that's freedom? That's the devil deceiving you back into bondage because you escape everything and never go through nothing so you're not becoming like Christ. Who... already paid everything for us so it produces patience it's a constant uh, constancy in your endurance and but let patience have its perfect work oh then you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing wouldn't it be nice to be lacking nothing Christians it means mature it just means knowing where to go when somebody says, well, what happens? Wait, well, I don't know, but I know where to go. Let's pray. I'm not sure about that answer, but we can pray. I know somebody that knows all the answers. And you might have the answer with you in your word of God, but you don't know it yet. You don't have to lack anything. You've been provided for perfectly. It's just going to give it to you when you need it. And if you do come, you say, well, if anyone lacks wisdom... It's the wisdom of God. It's not the earthly, central, demonic wisdom that the church seems to be following today where they think that they can provide socialism and it's going to be a utopian dream. It, that, that's, all, that's all a lie. Listen to me. Let me just clearly say to you, socialism is a lie. It's not, it's not the gospel. You know why I know that? Because we're getting ready to have the great reset on the planet. You know why I know socialism is a lie and it's not God? Because he wants a personal relationship. Socialism wants us all to get the same thing. Socialism wants us all to have the same start. Socialism wants us to all go through the same set of circumstances. Socialism says you all do the same thing, and then nobody wants to do anything. See, but God says, I'm going to reward you. You come to a personal relationship and a personal God, and you believe in the blood, and then you begin to do what I've called you to do individually in your relationship, not as a social group yet. And then I'm going to reward you for your works or lack thereof And when I'm the judicial judge. That's what the gospel's about. So then you say, okay, well, if there's two fathers and one of them's lying to me, then the one that's lying to you that doesn't line up with scripture is the devil. It's not the church. It's the devil. The one that doesn't line up with a personal love relationship that's individual. And yes, all the riches are available to you. And yes, you get what you put into it. You're going to get what you put into your faith. But with socialism and the social gospel, everybody gets the same thing regardless of what you do. And that's why the church sets on their laurels. That's why the church today, they, they do nothing. Nothing. Because they already said a prayer. That's all I had to do. What does it say about Noah in, in the faith chapter, the hall of faith in, 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 in 11.7 of Hebrews? Being divinely warned by God, he prepared. He got up. He went out and obeyed. He prepared a vessel. What was that vessel? It was a witness to everybody else that judgment was coming. So when you're living your life, it becomes a witness. So let's close with Going to Hebrews again, 12. We can look at this endured. You know, you know what it says in uh, the parallel chapter from Mark 13 and Luke 21, 19? By patience, possess your souls. 
Doesn't that sound weird? Listen to you. Go read it later. By patience, hupomene, possess your souls. It actually means to buy back, to purchase your soul by patience. You're cooperating in the salvation, the middle part of the practical part. You're cooperating by, by coming as a little child, by listening to the Holy Spirit. You're enduring through. And you're helping possess your soul instead of being deceived and thinking, just because I said a prayer, I'm perfectly fine. Now, I do know there's times on deathbeds when if you say a prayer, you're perfectly fine because God's going to provide everything. You haven't had a chance to grow up in his family. There are deathbed conversions. There are people that's going to be in heaven that never did anything for God except I believe because the guy on the cross said that. But that's not the gospel scheme of a life of faith. When you still have breath. Our hope is coming. Jesus is coming. What did I say? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Yeah. Right after the hall of faith. The one who lived faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. Better than anybody. The hall of faith chapter. Gives us all of these people of the Old Testament. That we're supposed to be looking at. To know that God is faithful. He's trustworthy. You can believe him. And then chapter 12 tells us this. Therefore, because of all these people that live by faith, looking forward to Jesus coming, we also, we, anytime you say we are or any of the we's, that's your, your position as one another in the body of Christ. We also, since we are, that's you together, surrounded, they're everywhere, these testimonies, these witnesses of Old Testament saints, by so great a cloud of martyrs, witnesses, those who gave testimony by walking it out, by obeying God. If you go back and read chapter 11, they all got up and did something because of their faith. They all did what God called them to do because they believed God, what he said he was going to do. Since we're surrounded by those testimonies, those witnesses, those martyrs, that died, they endured to the end by possessing their souls and listening to God, let us lay aside every weight. That's, that's not being entangled with the affairs of this life, that you might please him who called you to be a soldier. Everything that has nothing to do with the ministry of reconciliation, lay it aside. It's a weight that's weighing you down. And the sin, we all have sin, which so easily ensnares us, the word testifies that it's easy to be deceived, it's easy to be snatched back, it's easy to fall underneath the power of, of, of sin, and let us run with endurance. There it is, hupomene, abide under, run this race with endurance, the race that is set before us. How can we do this? This is so hard. Looking, where's your faith at? Where's your eyes fixed? Unto Jesus. He said it at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He began it. He finished it. He started it in you by grace. He'll complete it. And look what it says. He considered it joy. Who for the joy that was set before him. Listen, he considered it joy. Exactly what James said. The joy that was set before him. Do you think he enjoyed the cross? 
He'd sweated great drops of blood in the garden. Hematidrosis is what it's called medically. He sweated. There was so much stress involved in obeying God. There was so much he had to do. Think about it for a moment. But he counted it joy because he considered the other side, the fruit that would come from it, that on the other side, you and I would be able to be redeemed forever. And we wouldn't be deceived anymore as long as we listened. Look what it says. Who for the joy that was set before him endured, he, ab he abided under the cross. Did he reason? Did he say, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me? He reasoned. You might reason with God too, but then you want to stay under and create the fruit of righteousness, patience in your life. And count it joy because you know that he's going to do something on the other side. He despised the shame. He didn't want to be shamed. Think about the all-powerful God and creator of the heaven and the earth. That he wants to come down and take the sin of the world. That he wants to come down and humble himself into this low position where he washes servants' feet that he created that are sinning against him. But now he is set down. And there's only one throne in heaven to sit on. He's God in the flesh. He's set down. He's resting. You know that the Levitical priests under the law, they couldn't even sit down. They had to go in on the Day of Atonement. You know what they do? They go in on the Day of Atonement. They had a rope tied around their leg in case they messed up. They have bells on their garments, and they go in on the Day of Atonement once a year, Yom Kippur, and they make the sacrifice. They already made one for themselves outside. Then they go in for all the people, representing them as a priest, and they'd make a sacrifice. And you know what the people did? Some of them held a rope because they case he fell down dead, but they were watching. They were waiting. They were doing the other work in the temple area while they were waiting and watching to see if he would come out again and that God would accept the sacrifice. And that's what you and I are supposed to be doing, waiting and watching for Christ as we do the work because the sacrifice we know is accepted. How do we know it? Resurrection is the evidence that God accepted it. He got back up again. So we know he accepted it. So we should be watching and waiting and working in his power and might and standing in the victory of Christ. And, and as you're doing it, look to Christ. Look what he did. Look at his example. Look at his power. Look at his provision of the spirit and everything. The testimony of him. Behold, I have come. It is written in the volume of the book to do thy will, O God. Not my will, but thy will be done. So that means a death to self, a death to our plans, and being alive in a new and living way to do the will of God, which is the ministry of reconciliation of souls. And I could go on, and you can read this. You can read it, because it's going to conclude. Chapter 12 ends with what? It ends with the shaking once again of everything. The same thing we're talking about in Mark 13. That it's a prophecy that one day God's going to shake the whole heavens and the earth. And he's going to have tribulation that has never been seen before. One day he's going to shake everything. What was the type in the Old Testament? Remember under the law they came before the mountain. And they're like, Moses, Moses, you speak to us. But not this great flashing mountain. Because this is scaring us. We don't want that to happen. But you speak to us. And he says, one day God's going to shake everything again. It's all going to be thrown down and go through the fire. And right now is today for you and I to go through that fire, to understand that the trials and the, and the temptations and the pain and the suffering and everything that's going on, your struggles is preparing you for tomorrow. It's preparing you for that day when you'll stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Amen? Amen.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. Another thing that, as we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and they don't want us to, it's not a fruit of the Spirit, but it's a result. It's an evidence of faith that we can be thankful to you. We thank you, Lord, for your great provision, for your word, for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, we may not get it perfect, but we know you did. We may not be able to hit every I and every T, but Lord, we have a heart to follow you and to do the work of the reconciliation of souls. So call us out, Lord. Convict us. Rebuke us. Build us up. Give us a desire to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. And Lord, help us not to allow fear to quench our faith, to destroy our faith. Help us not to listen to the liars of this world and their propaganda that has nothing to do with your truth in your word. But help us, if we're children of God, to be led by the Spirit and by your truth. Thank you for being such a good Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name and for his glory. And everyone says, Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I